So I really appreciate um, everyone coming up and sharing the, their testimony. Uh, really appreciate Caleb. Um, I've known Caleb for years now, and I feel like I know him better as a result of him sharing his testimony. And, and that's kind of one of the reasons why we wanted to do this, is so that uh, we can know each other better. And we all are on different parts of what, and on a, a spiritual journey, and um, and we all have something we can share. And so, uh, hearing Caleb and his story has, has been great for me, um, but I'd love to hear all of your stories. And so, if this is something that you want to do, uh, then just come find me and talk to me, and I would love to get you on the schedule to share your story and your testimony as well. Uh, we do this for multiple reasons. One is so that you don't just have to hear me talk every week, right? That kind of gets old. Uh, another reason is because uh, as, you know, in Matthew 28, um, Jesus commands us to go out and share the good news. And part of that is learning to share your testimony and your story. And so uh, getting you up here and thinking about what your story is and your testimony is, it uh, gives you... Um, you know, when that opportunity comes up, you've already thought about your story and you've already said it out loud and, and it makes it easier to share your story with others and follow the great commission of Jesus, um, whether that's with a classmate or a coworker or a family member or so forth. And so that's kind of the reasons why we're doing this um, so that we get to know each other better uh, so you guys don't have to just hear me talk and, um, and so you can start thinking about your own story and, and how to share that with others. Um, <clears throat> before we get started, we're going to continue on in, in our series of James, but before we get started, I wanted to address uh, something that's going on in Kentucky. Um, have you guys heard of the Ashbury Revival that's happening in Kentucky? Um, and so for those of you that don't know, uh, two weeks ago this Wednesday, Asbury is a university, but it's a private university, and, and they have chapel every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday. And two weeks ago, uh, on a Wednesday, they had a speaker come in, and he actually uh, thought he had messed up his talk. Um, he texted his wife after the talk, and was like, another stinker. Um, and <clears throat> But it turns out that God used that in a great way. Um, I'm reminded of our verse of the week, uh, <clears throat> which is 2 Corinthians 12.9. Yeah. Um, where Paul's talking about his weakness and how uh, God uses weakness um, for his glory. And so I'm re reminded of that with this example, right? He thought he gave a dud of a, a sermon, and it turns out that it really hit a chord with some of the students there. And they um, stuck around afterwards and continued worshiping and uh, praising God and repenting of sins and confessing sins and, um, <clears throat> and just... Uh, having an altar call and so forth, and that's been going on for two weeks now, straight, nonstop. Um, and I know that that term revival kind of has a uh, negative, like, PR to it, uh, mainly because back in the day they used to have these, like, tent revivals, right? They were scheduled and so forth, and people would come in and it'd be like a hellfire brimstone type talk. And it was just, um, so there's a lot of negative PR around it, but uh, this incident was not planned. 
It was impromptu. Um, everyone that's been there thinks that uh, it's definitely the work of the Holy Spirit and, and what's going on. And not only that, uh, it has spread from Asbury to other universities as well. Sanford, Lee, um, uh, I think even the University of Texas and so forth. And um, I think it's spread to like 10 or 15 universities now. Um, and I bring all this up because one, the uh, this broke out, the revival broke out before the, um, so Asbury University is live streaming the Collegiate Day of Prayer tomorrow. And that was scheduled before the revival even happened. And so this wasn't something where they're like, hey, uh, Asbury's having this revival, let's do the live stream there. Um, that was scheduled before the live stream. And so, uh, and so, you know, if you go to the Collegiate Day of Prayer tomorrow, it's going to be a live stream from Asbury University and um, and kind of towards the tail end of this revival because really the town of Kentucky has stopped allowing visitors to come in and so forth. And so they're kind of tapering it off. Um, but, uh, and so, you know, that's one aspect and, and I don't want you to be um, critical of of this collegiate day of prayer that's happening tomorrow. Um, the other thing is just at, at least, you know, growing up in uh, a Church of Christ background, you don't really talk about revivals a lot. Um, and I know that there's a lot of people here that didn't grow up Church of Christ, but if you did, right, that's not something we really talked about or, or touched on a lot. And it's easy to view those these events with a critical eye. Um, and this morning when I was reading scripture, I was reading in Mark chapter 6. And um, to give some background, right, Jesus uh, just fed the 5,000 people, right? He, he multiplied these loaves and fish and fed 5,000 people. And then he sends his disciples on a boat and some water. He goes off to pray and then this big storm comes up and he's walking on water out to the boat to his disciples. And uh, and in verse 51, and really verse 52, really stuck out to me this morning. And I know I've read it before, but this verse really stuck out to me as, as I was thinking about it. And it said, uh, starting in verse 51, it says, And he got into the boat with them, and the wind ceased. And they were utterly astounded. For they did not understand about the loaves, but their hearts were hardened. And as we talk about this revival and think about this revival, um, it's healthy to look at things of a spiritual nature with a critical eye. Uh, but don't immediately dismiss it to be um, to be fake and just emotional driven and uh, not a true revival because you don't understand it. Uh, I think that sometimes um, we don't understand the way God is working. We don't understand the way the Holy Spirit works, and uh, and I think sometimes we um, our hearts are hardened towards that because we don't understand it. And so I want to encourage you to um, uh, pray that this revival is true because our country could use it, right? Our nation could use it. Um, uh, your generation, if this is true, if this revival is true, has the power to change the country. And that's what I love about you guys, is you guys are go-getters, right? If you're passionate about something, you do it. 
Um, and so if this revival is true, uh, you guys could literally transform this country. Uh, so pray that it's true, um, but also uh, look into it for yourself. Look into it for yourself. See um, if it is, uh, look at it with a critical eye, but don't immediately dismiss it just because you may not understand it. The disciples didn't understand how Jesus multiplied all these loaves and fed 5,000 people. And it says their hearts were hardened as a result. And so um, don't be like the disciples, right? Um, uh, approach it with a, a critical eye, but an open eye and an open heart as well. And, um, and if this is true and the Holy Spirit really is moving, it's going to do some amazing things and for your generation and my generation and, um, and the generation below you guys and so forth. And so, um, so yeah, uh, I just wanted to address that. That was all extra. Uh, I know that, that was kind of like a mini sermon, <clears throat> but I felt like that was important to, to address as this uh, revival has gotten more press and so forth, especially with the Collegiate Day of Prayer tomorrow. Um, and so uh, we are continuing our series of the, in the book of James, and we're in James uh, chapter two. And if you remember, uh, last week we looked at 14 through 19 and really the, the point of last week was that real faith produces real work or fruit and a fake faith produces either no works or fake fruit, right? Um, and we asked this question, are you a real follower or are you a fake follower? Uh, and, and so that's kind of what we looked at last week and this week we're continuing on in James uh, 20. Um, through 24 and James kind of addresses this idea further and, and dives into it a little bit more and so jumping right in uh, let me give this caveat this today's lesson is very scripture heavy um, very scripture heavy uh, and so be prepared to hear a lot of scripture I'm going to be reading a lot of scripture um, but uh, as uh, Josh told me earlier he's like if if the, the downfall of your sermon is that there's too much scripture, then that's a pretty good sermon, right? So, um, so but I'm giving you a warning that this is very scripture heavy today. And so we're going to be looking at a lot of scripture. So if you have your Bibles, we'll go over to James uh, chapter 2, verses starting in verse 20. It says, Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? <coughs> and so right off the bat, James, he's... He's kind of reiterating what he had talked about in verses 14 through 19 about how faith without works is useless. And I, I feel like it's important for me to state this again, right? James isn't saying that you have to have works to earn your salvation or, or earn your faith. He is saying that uh, works is a byproduct of genuine faith. Um, you see the difference there, right? You don't earn your faith and you don't earn your salvation through your works. Rather, works is a natural byproduct because of genuine faith. And, and so that's what James is saying. He's not saying that you can earn your salvation or your faith. Um, and then, uh, but he is saying that um, faith without works is useless, right? And he kind of gives, um, he goes on and he gives this, Example of someone who has faith and works. Uh, starting in 21, it says, <clears throat> Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? 
You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works and not by faith alone. And so I think to fully understand this text of scripture, we have to go back and look at the story of Abraham. And so we're going to do kind of, today is going to be like a survey of Abraham's life for you guys. And so if you have your Bible, swoop over to Genesis, uh, starting in, in Genesis 12. And uh, before Abraham, Abraham, his name before it was Abraham was kind of Abram. And so if you hear the word Abram, it's talking about the, the same guy, Abraham. And so uh, Genesis chapter 12, verses starting in verse 1, it says, Now the Lord said to Abram, Go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you and make your name great, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse. And in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abraham was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And so we see that uh, this is kind of our introduction of Abram. He was uh, 75 years old, and he gets this promise from God, right? Uh, he, he gets this promise that... Uh, that he will, he will be a great nation and that whoever blesses him will also be blessed, but whoever curses him will also be cursed. And so he gets this promise from God about being this great nation and, and the blessings and the cursings that will happen as a result. And then just look down at verse 10, right? Just a few verses later, uh, we see this another account of of Abram. It says, Now there was a famine in the land, so Abram went down to Egypt to sojourn there, for the famine was severe in the land. When he was about to enter Egypt, he said to Sarai, his wife, I know that you are a woman, beautiful in appearance, and when the Egyptians see you, they will say, This is his wife. Then they will kill me, but they will let you live. Say you are my sister, that I may go well with me because of you, and that my life may be spared for your sake. And so Abram is operating under this uh, knowledge that he has this blessings from God, right? That he's going to be a great nation and that whoever blesses him will also be blessed and whoever curses him will also be cursed. And he knows this information. And yet when he goes down to Egypt, he says, I don't fully believe your promise, God. I don't fully believe your promise to me. And I think the Egyptians are going to kill me because my wife is beautiful and they want to take her for themselves and so he tells his wife <clears throat> to say hey tell them you're my sister so they don't kill me we see that Abraham Abram doesn't fully believe this promise that God has given him flip over to Genesis 15 uh, verses 1 through 6 uh, it says after these things the word of the Lord came to Abram in a vision. Fear not, Abram, I am your shield. Your reward shall be very great. But Abram said, O Lord God, what will you give me? Uh, give me, for I continue childless, and the heir of my house is Eliezer of Damascus. 
And Abram said, Behold, you have given me no offspring, and a member of my household will be my heir. And behold, the word of the Lord came to him, This man shall not be your heir. Your very own son shall be your heir. And he brought him outside and said, Look toward heaven and number the stars, if you are able to number them. Then he said to him, So shall your offspring be. And he believed the Lord, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And so once again, Abram uh, is being told by God this promise and this covenant that is being made to him. He's saying, hey, your offspring will number the stars. And so this is the second promise that God makes to Abram. Right? Then flip over just the very next chapter in 16. Abram you know, God made this promise that your offspring, or Elijah of Damascus, will not be your heir, and your offspring will be your heir instead. <clears throat> and he believed him, but didn't fully trust in God's time. And and this is evident because in Genesis 16 and verses uh, 15 and 16, uh, his wife Sarah had a servant. Or a slave. Um, and since Sarah was barren and unable to have children, she gave the slave to Abram so that he could have a child. And it says in verse 15, And Hagar, the, the slave, bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son whom Hagar bore Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abram. And so we see here that Abram, he, he, while he believes in the promise that God said and told him, he didn't trust in God's timing of that promise, and he took things into his own hand and tried to fulfill the promise on his own and didn't trust God in his timing. Flip over to 17. Verses 15 through 19, it says, And God said to Abraham, As for Sarai, your wife, you shall not, not call her name Sarai, but Sarah it shall be her name. I will bless her, and moreover, I will give you a son by her. I will bless her, and she shall become nations. King, kings of people shall come from her. Then Abraham fell on his face and laughed and said to himself, Shall a child be born to a man who is a hundred years old? Shall Sarah, who is 90 years old, bear a child? And Abraham said to God, Oh, that Ishmael might live before you. God said, No, but Sarah, your wife, shall bear you a son, and you shall call his name Isaac. I will establish my covenant with him as an everlasting covenant for his offspring after him. So this is the third time God approaches Abram about his son, uh, and his heir becoming this great nation and his offspring. And despite this being the third time of God promising to Abram, making this promise to him, what happens? What did we read, right? He laughed. And he said, man, I'm 100 years old. There's no way I'm having a kid. My wife, Sarah, she's 90 years old. This is impossible, God. But sure enough, God came through in his promise. And a year later, 
Sarah at 91, which I can't imagine, and Abraham at 101, which I also can't imagine doing that infant at that age, right? Um, sure enough, Sarah had a son, and they named him Isaac. And so God had to make these three promises to Abraham. And then finally, we get to the passage in the text that James is talking about in James 2. And I know we've read a lot of scripture, but bear with me. This is the last bit of scripture that we are going to read. Um, last big chunk of scripture that we're going to read. But Genesis 22 is the account that James is talking about in James 2. And it says, after these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, <coughs> Abraham. And he said, here I am. He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. So Abraham rose early in the morning, saddled his donkey, and took two of his young men with him and his son Isaac. And he cut the wood for the burnt offering and arose and went to the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place from afar. Then Abraham said to his young men, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship and come again to you. And Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it on Isaac, his son. And he took in his hand the fire and the knife. So they went, both of them together. And Isaac said to his father, Abraham, my father. And he said, here I am, my son. He said, behold, the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, God will provide for himself the lamb for a burnt offering, my son. So they went, both of them, together. When they came to the place for which God had told him, Abraham built the altar there and laid the wood in order and bound Isaac, his son, and laid him on the altar on top of the wood. Then Abraham reached out his hand and took the knife to slaughter his son. But the angel of the Lord called to him, from heaven and said, Abraham, Abraham. And he said, Here I am. He said, Do not lay your hand on the boy or do anything to him. For now I know that you fear God, seeing you have not withheld your son, your only son, from him. And Abraham lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, behind him was a ram caught in the thicket by his horns. And Abraham went and took the ram and offered it up as a burnt offering instead of his son. And so I know that that was a lot, and thank you for bearing with me there. Um, but I think that the point of looking at all that, right, and the point that James is trying to get to in this text is that, uh, and the point of tonight's lesson is that real faith works real faith works this was evident in abram's or abraham's life from the very beginning he had faith but it was very weak he didn't fully trust god right he went from uh hearing this promise from god and not fully believing it not fully trusting god to the point where he told his wife uh to be his sister so they wouldn't be killed by the egyptians 
He went from there to taking this promise from God and taking matters into his own hand and uh, producing a son, not through his wife, but through uh, his wife's slave, so that uh, because his, he believed his wife was barren and didn't fully believe the promise that God had made to him. And he went from that to finally having a son. God fulfilling his end of the bargain and having a son. And eventually uh, to the point where he was fully trusted God to the point where he was able and willing to offer up that very promise that God had made to him years and years before. If you look, he was 75 when we started and he ended up at 100 something, right? Old enough that his son was able to carry the wood, which is a cruel joke, by the way, um, carry the wood uh, up the mountain on his own. So the theologians believe it was like 30, 40 years or so. And we see this progression of Abram or Abraham and his faith and how it grows and how he learns to trust God more and more and more. And that's what James is talking about. He's saying they're real. Faith works. If you have real faith, you can't help but be transformed into the image of Christ. You can't help but to look more and more and more like Christ in your life. Because real faith works. See, we, we're approaching an age and a time where it's, we're increasingly becoming post-Christian, right? In fact, right now in Knoxville, only about 18% of people in Knoxville go to church on Sunday. Right? Over 80% of the people here in Knoxville don't go to church on Sunday. And that's here in the Bible, though. In your lifetime, in America, for the first time ever, within your lifetime, probably within the next decade, more people are going to identify as unreligious and not Christian than people are going to identify as Christian. That tipping point is going to happen within your lifetime, probably in the next 10 years or so. And so we're approaching this post-Christian age where back when I was in college, right, it wasn't like that. Back when I was in college, this was before smartphones, I could, um, you could tell someone some great apologetics, right, which is just a fancy way of saying evidence for God. And you could tell someone that and, and uh, convince them and show them that God was real and, and they wouldn't believe. But that's not the case anymore. Right? You guys have smartphones. You guys have access to all of that information at the touch of a button. But people are still looking at Christians. People are still looking to see if faith works. And they're looking to see, hey, if I follow, choose to follow this guy named Jesus, if I choose to make him Lord of my life, if I choose to do what the Bible says and what Jesus commands, will it work in my life? 
not just on some big theological level of will I be uh, clean in God's sight, but on an everyday level. Will the sins of my life be conquered? Will my anger decrease? Will my stress and my anxiety start to go away? Will my relationships improve with my boyfriend or my spouse or my family member? Will my life get better? Will I be able to conquer these sins that I have in my life that I hate? You see, people are looking, and they're looking to see if faith works. And this is what James is getting at. He's saying, yes, absolutely, real faith works. So what does this look like for you? Right? I think you have to ask yourself some hard questions. You have to ask yourself, am I being transformed through the Holy Spirit to look more like Christ? Do I look more like Christ than I did yesterday or a week ago or a month ago or a year ago? You see, a lot of people like to just coast, right? And they think they're just coasting, and they're like, oh, my faith is just, you know, it's just stagnant. But here's the truth, that there is no stagnant faith. See, you either have real faith that is working in your life and transforming you and making you more like Christ, and you're becoming more like Christ, or you don't have real faith, and you have a fake faith. And you are becoming more like culture in the world. And so my question for you today is this. Which direction are you moving? Are you moving towards Christ? And towards Christ's likeness? And are you allowing the Holy Spirit to transform you to become more and more like Him? Or are you moving towards culture in the world? And my hope and my prayer for you is that you have a real and genuine faith that is moving you more and more and transforming you more into the image of Christ. That's my hope and my prayer for you guys. That's my hope and my prayer for me. So, I'm going to pray for us, and then I think we have one more song. Father God, we just thank you for your word. We thank you for your wisdom. I pray for everyone in this room, Lord, that we would all have real faith, and that we would let that real faith work in our lives so that we can be transformed and look more and more like you. And so when the world looks at our lives, they will see that real faith works. Thank you for Abraham, his example of faith working in his life. We thank you for your scriptures and your words so that we can learn about that and the wisdom that it carries. And we thank you for your son, who we try to become more and more like every day. We thank you for his grace, his love, and his mercy in our lives. And the sacrifice that we made so that we can have hope of eternity with you. 
And I pray that Saul, your son's most precious and holy name. Amen.